Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we explore the latest in blockchain technology and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna. And me, Frederick. In this episode, we sit down with Alex and Alex from Matter Labs to discuss how they plan to use ZK Snarks to scale up the transaction processing capacity of Ethereum. Before we start, we just want to speak to you, our listeners, for a quick moment. As you may know, we rely on our supporters, subscribers, and sponsors to make this show possible. If you are thinking, hey, I like this show and I wouldn't mind supporting it, then there are a bunch of ways that you can do this. You can share a monthly amount in DAI through our Gitcoin grant or join us on Patreon if you'd rather do this in fiat. You can also support us directly through our Bitcoin and Ethereum addresses, as well as our new Zcash address. Thank you to the listener who pointed out that Zcash might be an interesting option for our audience. We want to say a big thank you to the folks who have supported us on Patreon and Gitcoin so far. We really appreciate the support, and you really do help to make this podcast possible. If you want to support the show, we have all of our links in the description for how to do that. Or if you're a project, please get in touch with us about sponsorships. So now here's our interview with Matter. So today we're sitting with the guys from Matter Labs. Hi, guys. Hey. Hi, Anna. And Frederick. Hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Today we get a chance to explore a little bit what Matter Labs are working on. Uh, this will be a zero knowledge episode, which is kind of exciting. It's kind of one of the first times where we talk about how zero knowledge could actually be used for something other than privacy. Instead, we're going to be talking about how it could be used for, for um, scaling. So what if we start off with a quick intro? Do you guys want to just tell us who you are and what you're working on? Yeah, so we're from Matter Labs. My name is Alex. Uh, my co-founder, Alex, is also Alex. Just for sake of clarity, it's a difference in full first names. Uh, another Alex is Alexi and Alexander. But of course, no one uses a full name, Who's even you? while it's a distinguisher. I'm Alexander. You're Alexander. And I'm Alexi. Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah, so at Matter Labs, we are using zero-knowledge proofs to scale blockchains. We met at DevCon last year, and we came from different backgrounds to simultaneously to the same idea that zero-knowledge proofs, specifically SNARKs and STARKs, the succinct zero-knowledge proof techniques, can be used for scaling. And uh, we decided to use it for scaling Ethereum in the first place because Ethereum is very well suited for this kind of technology. Where, what were you working on before? Uh, my background is in software engineering. I studied in Kiev and Berlin, and I was in Berlin in a couple of startups as a CTO, building teams, uh, worked mostly in the old new economy on the uh, online things uh, like uh, uh, trade show management and camper sharing platform. I was co-founder of uh, Paul Camper, which is the largest European startup for uh, camper sharing. Oh, cool. How about you? What is your background? Uh, okay, as you remember from CK Summit, in the matter of fact, I'm Russian nuclear physicist. My master is in high energy physics, and my PhD is in electrical engineering, and now I'm working on blockchains as a practical application. So it's just one step at a time from pure science to something practical. Yeah, I was working for um, in a plasma environment for quite a long, so I'm much more familiar with scaling solutions in principle. And 
I mean, even before at the DevCon itself, where we met, I was a member of the Plasma panel discussion, like discussing what's happening in there, what can be done and improved. Uh, but then we decided, even while Plasmas can give thousands of transactions per second, we can use Snarks right now to maybe reach not thousands by hundreds, but with another different, another completely different user experience and other trade-offs. And we find these trade-offs and user experience more important than reaching the ultimate benchmark of thousands of transactions per second. So we decided to go this way. So you were in DevCon, you were actually on a panel speaking about Plasma. Yeah. When you said you're working in Plasma environments, what does that mean? I mean, in a sense that when Vitalik introduced Plasma in 2017 in a somewhere like August, I think. Uh, then I was at the first ETH global hackathons of one in Waterloo. And there, the hackathon project was like a first demo of the Plasma, which we did over the weekend. Which, which, which hackathon? Uh, ETH Waterloo. Waterloo. Oh, yeah. cool. ETH so, Waterloo. Yeah. And so from then, actually, there was, um, around this time, there was also a Snarks blog post by Vitalik. There was a first paper for Starx with two gigabytes proofs, if I remember correctly. So from there, somewhere from there, everything started for me. And since then, I was working continuously on Plasma for this minimal viable Plasma, more viable Plasma, what are Plasma Cache, what are Plasma Prime, where accumulators, all this fancy stuff with Every construction having its own benefits and trade-offs. And now we have the construction using ZK Snarks for scaling, which has other benefits and trade-offs. And for now, I work in this one. When you guys met, like, what, who is the team that is Matter? Well, I mean, the Matter as itself has a, a little bit longer history than before we, me uh, and Alex met at the DEFCON. But in principle, it's still very small. It's like five engineers, so that's it. Engineers in a sense, hardcore engineers who can like work in GPU provers, who know how gross 16 security proof works. Uh, sorry if I'm too technical. You can just say this. Uh, okay. Uh, but yeah, th this is the, how it works. It's, it's very nar narrowly focused. Narrowly focused. Very, very narrowly. In principle, every one of us could do almost everything that other person does. It just, for example, I write co the code very fast, efficient, but in a hackathon style, maybe not too readable. Alex, another Alex, always tells me this. Uh, he works in a production mode, so much more slower, but, well, it's more readable uh, still. I, I find my code readable, too. Uh, but, yeah, we're all different, but still very well-focused and kind of not replaceable, but reshuffable. I'm, I'm curious to hear, like... Coming from the plasma space and then moving into Matt, what you guys are doing at Matter, is plasma still involved in this in some sense, or have you, you know, completely abandoned that and gone, you know, zk uh, zero knowledge proofs are the future of the of scaling? So, in fact, when we first came up with the first version of uh, the product, we called it zero knowledge based plasma because we thought it's going to be the easiest way for people to comprehend what we're doing. It's very very similar to plasma. The difference is that this the each new block or each new state transition is secured by zero knowledge proofs. I think one thing I want to do before we jump even deeper into this, I don't think we've ever defined plasma on this podcast. So can you actually quickly summarize what plasma is? Plasma is a layer two scaling solution, which in principle relies on layer one for security, um, but it has strictly sublinear communication complexity on the main chain. So we submit 
less data in terms of the amount of transactions or compared to amount of transactions to the main chain than we actually process in the side chain. However, if something goes wrong, we always have the main chain as a witness of what the canonical state is by the virtue of commitment, cryptographic commitment to the new state. And when you when you first developed the ZK for Plasma, then you were using zero-knowledge proofs to do that check-in point with the main net? So we still do the normal check-in point. Uh, we just commit this new state to the main chain, but then we use zero-knowledge proofs to secure this. In Plasma, you rely on game-theoretical assumptions. Other people should, should, or you maybe, will monitor all the blocks, and if you find a mistake, malicious or, uh, or not malicious, then you can go on main chain and protest. You use Ethereum as a court of final appeal, which will govern the, the conflict. Now, with your knowledge proofs, uh, you can rely, you can provide the proof that certain computations were correct and that let main chain contract verify this. So you can use zero knowledge proofs for scaling in two different ways. One way is to have fraud proofs on zero knowledge, which is which will be like Plasma, but instead of having a challenge game, interactive protocol of having multiple requests and, and responses, you just provide one proof which says uh, for this hash, the correct state should be this and this, or like this transaction is incorrect. Uh, so this is proof, fraud proofs. Now, you can also use your knowledge in a very different way, where you provide proofs of validity for every state which you commit on the main chain. And this is what we use because this creates an entirely different user experience. Well, I'm glad we actually made that distinction because I think it's important to understand that, you know, the general topic that we want to cover today is also like off-chain computation and how that would work, starting from Plasma, adding the zero knowledge. Did you decide to use it in both ways, or are you only using it in one with the project as it is? So we decided to use it strictly as validity proofs, although we made some contribution to fraud proofs as well, for which Plasma can benefit from. Um, but fraud proofs always have game-theoretical assumptions. Somebody has to submit fraud proofs in the case of fraud. And if they don't do this, or if the transaction doesn't get mined, then security is compromised. With validity proofs, it's impossible for anybody to commit an incorrect state. Or you can commit, but you, you, you can never finalize the incorrect state. Because the smart contract will only accept a state as final when the proof is there. Uh, and this leads to very interesting properties. Um, you have very short finality in a range of maybe a few minutes. And then your funds are at security level of almost the layer one security. And nobody has to be online. You don't have any liveness assumption. Yeah, the liveness assumption is crucial for any plasma because there is an assumption that someone is watching. A set of watchtowers or every user monitors his own assets. This is an important part. Uh, I mean, for there are different flavors in plasma. And we can also talk about all of them if we want. But yeah, um, some of those can benefit from ZK Snarks to, for example, compress the history in Plasma Cache. We actually, in, a, in Singapore, at ETH Singapore, where we showed the first kind of very rough Hackathon-style demo, we also like simplified our main snark to allow history compression for Plasma Cache. So other projects can also benefit from it indirectly, not from what we do as a project, but from the code we just release and do it for fun. 
So this is uh, curious to me because it's you're not using ZK snarks or snarks or whatever, as in like Starkware was talking about or uh, what Rollup is trying to do in the sense of using the you know, exponential speed up, quote unquote, uh, property of a Stark in that you, like you're trying to say that verifying all of this computation is a lot faster than doing the computation. So you have this plasma-like off-chain thing and then using the Stark to validate that the state transition fu- function essentially was executed correctly. Um, it's not like compressing data. Yeah, unfortunately, this is a misunderstanding when Alex mentioned the linear cast. Uh, we should separate it further. There is a state transition, which is just transition from one state root to another state root, which is a result of applying a thousand of transactions, for example, but it's verified only as one snark proof. The same way, it's exponential scaling. Also, we have the public data problem. And we need to disclose some part of every transaction in this block to resolve some worst case scenarios. When the operator doesn't cooperate, for example, or censors you completely, or something else happens or a data center is completely offline, for example. There should be a procedure where the operator doesn't cooperate. For this, we need to post a small amount of every transaction in the block to the main chain. And this is a linear part. If we eliminate this or just forget about this for a second, this is the same exponential scaling. Is it, I mean, there is no principal difference between what we do and the roll-up. We just spe- specialize it for a set of features, but use the same idea of ha- providing the validity proof for every state transition for every new block in the network. This is a part no one likes to speak about because the data availability problem is hard and it's expensive to resolve. That's why Starkware doesn't talk about it. They talk about the size of the proof and how much the proof will cost, but never about the public data which they have to post for the same purposes. If they want to uh, have a possible resolution for worst-case scenarios. We have a sublinear computational complexity on the main chain and strictly linear communication complexity for data availability. You were just comparing this to Starkware? Is that the differences that you're trying to make? Or No, I'm just saying, uh, no, no, no. I mean, in principle, Snarks and Starks, the difference is that your proof size, your verification cost is sublinear compared to the amount of computations which you prove. It's, bo- it's valid for both Snarks and Starks. Uh, also, people usually compare the kind of size of the proof, the cost to make the proof, or just cost to verify the proof on chain. But um, And this is where Starkware says we have the 6 million gas to verify the proof for this amount of transaction. Uh, we don't say this this way because uh, we calculate both contributions. Verification for this set of, let's say, 1,000 transactions plus the amount of data which we have to send for the same thousand transactions. So, so we put more or less usually say the final number, uh, which will be still required to spend. Let's dig into the data availability problem a little bit, because uh, I don't think everyone is aware of, one, what, what, why it needs to be available, but also necessarily what that data is or like what you would use it for. So imagine we have a new state. We have a block in the sidechain, which applies 1,000 transactions and produces a new state. And this state, we compute the Merkle root of the state, we commit it on the main chain. And now in case of Plasma or in case of uh, zero-knowledge-based solution, if nobody knows, if the operator doesn't disclose the exact details of those transactions 
to anybody else, then the root might might still be correct. It reflects the correct state transition, but nobody knows the Merkle paths and they cannot expand the data. Nobody can prove that they own some money at some point of time because just the data is just not available. So in this case, the chain essentially halts and people need to, in, in case of Plasma, they need to exit immediately, all of them, because they will not be able to, 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 to continue operation or even to withdraw the money. And this is a big problem with any layer two scaling solution. Now with zero knowledge based scaling, we can at least guarantee that the new state is correct. But still, if nobody knows the data, they won't be able, although the, the state is, is there and it's correct, they won't be able to prove that they own some money in, in, in the correct state. So, but with zero knowledge, we can prove it, we can solve this, this in a very elegant way. We post all the raw transaction data, not the signatures, but just the delta of the state change. Only the very minimum information which is necessary to reconstruct the new state from the previous one. We post it on chain. Then we compute a hash of the, this public data. And then we use this hash as a public input to this snark proof to make sure that the snark not only guarantees the correct transition, but it only also guarantees that the data which is being used for the state transition was made publicly available in our case through broadcast on Ethereum main, main chain. Now we assume that this data is publicly available because every miner in Ethereum needs to use it to generate the blocks and full, full archive nodes uh, hold all this data, but it's much, much cheaper than using the storage because we never need to use any of this data for smart contracts. We just compute the hash once and then we essentially forget it. So comparing this to just plain Ethereum, you know, in, in Ethereum, and a transaction is submitted, it's executed on chain through the EVM and everything else, and that's quite a lot of work. And then out pops the new state that says you have this balance, etc. So what you want to do then in your model is you move the execution of that transaction off chain. And so, but you still want to be able to reconstruct that state in some way and there that's why you need to have the transaction available if the transaction was submitted off chain executed off chain but proven correctly executed i mean yeah that proof that it's correctly executed doesn't really mean that much like what is the result of the computation that's what i want to know and so with your scheme you're committing the transaction on chain so that if someone doesn't share what the result of the execution is um you can go back and re-execute it yourself and make sure like you can recompute the state from that. Uh, you cannot exactly re-execute it because we don't post the signatures. We don't need to post signatures just for reasons that we prove that trans state transition is valid. So there was a valid signature which we know and it was used for the state transition. But we post them, like, let's say our simple state is just two balances, num zero and one. So we, if there is some transaction from 0 to 1, and we know what is a previous balance of 0 and previous balance of 1, what's necessary is just the amount which was transacted. So you can reconstruct. The same logic applies if you start from empty balances completely and fill them out somehow. And then for every transaction back and forth, you can reconstruct what would be the, fin what would be the final balance if you just go along all the public data which was available. Uh, and then you can just 
continues this procedure by, by just expanding the number of participants. So you cannot re-execute the block. You cannot construct a new valid proof that the block is correct, but you can prove to the smart contract on the main chain that you own some balance at some point. And then you can use, just rely on the main chain EVM to be able to withdraw this uh, to your account. I'm still trying to figure out like where's the saving here because if you are what you just described if you make any transaction you're still writing something to the main chain we don't write it we just post it as a part of transaction data there is a difference in pricing for the data which you just submit as a part of the transaction as the data which you store so in principle for this state transition what we do is we write once we write one storage slot which is a new route if we just go to the bare medium without the details of the contract. Everything else can be downloaded as a part of transaction data from archive node. And if something happens, you start with an empty tree, you follow every transaction which happens as a deposit to this contract, and, you fo- and also you follow every transaction which was happened as a transfer or exit or partial exit, doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you get with a set of balances for every participant of the network at the final state. So the chain will stall if there is no cooperation at some point, it will be what's called the final state. And if you just go along the history from the beginning of time, you will get the content of the state just from the data which was publicly available through the Ethereum and through the archive nodes. And then you can just do a simple Merkle proof that this was my state at this moment of time. And just this data ensures that you know all the states so you can reconstruct the Merkle proof. I mean, to reconstruct the Merkle proof, you need all the state. And that's a part of the deal. That's where I have the question, like you're saying that you can't re-execute the transactions, but if you don't post the result of the transaction as well, then you have to re-execute it to get the final state, right? So be able to say, this is my balance at the end. Uh, You don't execute it because you don't see the signature. I mean, in in our terms, executing the transactions that you also verify the signature. But all signature verifications were done for you already. Because yeah, there is sure, a but I mean, but you're not executing it on-chain, but you're executing it somewhere. You execute it locally, just one entity in the world can execute it for everyone else. This procedure yeah, exactly. is much simpler than actually doing all the bookkeeping and making the proofs, because this is just one database of very small amount of rows, which you can just add and subtract, uh, which is yeah. kind of trivial. But that's what I mean. Like you're still re-executing it, not on chain, but you're still re. Like that's why you want to make that data available. That's why the data availability thing matters, because if you don't have the data, then you can't re- re-execute it. I mean, and and to your point, you're not re-executing it in the like Ethereum EVM model, but in within your normal off-chain model. But you only will need to do this in the in the very unlikely event of complete operator. Yeah, but that's why you need the data availability as well in that case. Exactly, yes. I mean, we need it only for this purpose. For everything no. else, it's you, you could just not post it ever. And if you assume that your operator will live forever and survive the nuclear winter, as a Serum 2.0 wants, uh, then fine. You can just think that operator will give the content of your account at any moment of time. If you don't assume this, and we don't assume this, uh, then you need this worst case resolution procedure. And the win for the chain is like, we, we haven't, uh, I think it's a one-on-one episode from a while ago that talks about the difference between history and state and sort of the, the different storage models there. And 
many of the problems that we're having in Ethereum, like why it doesn't quote unquote scale, like why why it's so hard to sync, etc., is because there are so many nodes in the Merkle tree of the of the Ethereum states. And this doesn't bloat the state, it just bloats history, which is fine. We don't care about history necessarily. Well, I wouldn't say no one cares about history. People do care about history. There are proposals how to kind of at some point clean up and forget the history, but then there is no proper way how you can sync with a network. It's a problem which should be resolved at the layer one. Uh, and we work with conservative assumptions that it will not be worse than it is now. And that's it. <laughs> right now, all full nodes store all history. And there is discussion around how, we, like you say, how we can get rid of history and not require all uh, full nodes to store all history. But then it's still within the model, like it's incentivized somehow to keep the history around. So I, by people don't care, I mean like normal users don't care or have to look at history. Like when you sync an Ethereum node, you don't look at history. There's no syncing scheme that, that actually re-executes all the history anymore. Um, but so, it's always discoverable yeah. if you wanted to find yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like in previous episodes, we've talked about a little bit about just off-chain computation, and we hinted at different ways of sort of coming back to the main chain. Do you see this as, like, what's a comparable project to what you guys are doing? Well, for me, the inspiration of this approach was the Coda protocol, the 16 blockchain, where they tried to compress the entire blockchain into one snark proof, uh, which I thought we can apply for Plasma. Because having an isolated blockchain is a little difficult because the Coda also faces the data availability issue and they need to solve it um, still with with the same consensus algorithms uh, which other blockchains struggle with. And it's better to rely on something existing and proven than try to reinvent everything from scratch. And also, uh, it's the new philosophy of Ethereum to have the layer one as the data availability and consensus layer and have all the computations on top of it in layer two and above. Is like what you guys are working on recursive? Uh, no, we, we decided in favor of a different approach. Um, on the one hand, due to limitations in current Ethereum protocol, because we only have efficient precompiles for a very specific elliptic curve from BN to 5.6. So we cannot use recursion yet. On the other hand, because it allows us uh, to scale with uh, a lot more par- parallelism. So what we do, Instead of relying on the previous proof, we compute all proofs for all blocks in parallel. So we, we can we can make a commitment for the first block, start producing the proof. It takes some it takes a while. Meanwhile, we commit the second block and we start producing the proof for the second block, and so on and so on. And then finally, the first block gets proven, and then we submit the second transaction on Ethereum and finalize this state. So this allows us practically arbitrary scale parallelism. We can just use as many as much hardware as we need. So this is a difference to Coda uh, specifically because they have to wait for the previous proof to be uh, ready in order to start generation of the next proof. I'm very curious to hear more about what kind of transactions do you support? Is it completely generic EVM transactions, only balance transfers, or is it even outside of EVM like generic x86 programs? Uh, so this is a great question. We want to start with very simple functionality, which is going to be as universal as possible for the first version. 
So we're only going to support simple transfers of ERC20 tokens. Atomic swaps of ERC20 tokens is mutual transfers and also state channel updates because we, we can provide all the UX benefits also for state channels with all the state channels frameworks being able to build on top of, uh, of this layer, zero-knowledge layer. In the future versions, as soon as recursion becomes available to us on Ethereum, we will be able to write arbitrary smart contracts on zero-knowledge in, in SNARKs. They're not going to be Ethereum complete. They're going to be bounded in computation, and they're going to be somewhat expensive to, to compute. It will take some seconds, maybe minutes on, on local uh, laptops or cell phones, but we will be able to support very complex operations. For example, we, we will be able to breed a crypto kitty and only spend gas on the uh, state update, like just one, one K gas, instead of currently it costs, I guess, 200,000 gas. In the example, so like I think it's almost a year ago, we had Eric Tang from LivePeer come on and they were doing like video compression off chain. Could this ever be used for something like that? Or is this in a totally different ballpark? Uh, I think that, I mean, this part, because we work one step at a time, even while we see that at some point, with, especially with recursion, we can support much wider functionality. And this functionality is still to be defined completely. So of course, there are obvious technological limitations that your contracts or any execution like any programs which you write will not be Turing complete. They will have all the limitations of any snark-based programs. But still, for now, we cannot even make a very well-educated guess about what will be possible. Or even while while we understand what's going to be possible, we don't know if people and how people will use it. As a problem, there is no killer feature for Ethereum. There is no no killer feature for blockchains in principle. There is no killer feature for snarks, I think, yet. But if at some point someone makes it, we would want to support it. Yeah, I think with video compression and stuff like that, I mean, ultimately, whatever you compute off-chain needs to be provable in a snark or a stark. And so you'd need to write a uh, video compression snark, which <laughs> seems pretty impossible right now. Um, but who knows, in the future, like as, as snark programming languages get better and we get better abstractions in place and they become more performance. Like I think video compression is like the worst case yeah. thing that you could possibly do. But uh, <laughs> there's there's definitely like if we can get to a generalized EVM or like a WebAssembly thing, then, you know, we can get pretty far with that. And it's also contingent on hardware. If we have specific hardware for uh, SNARK or zero-knowledge proof generation in general, then it's going to be much more efficient. Mm. That's yeah. actually really helpful, though, to just place this like on that sort of time frame and like a, like where basically what I was trying to figure out there is like where is it actually at and it sounds like it's very far away at this point from being able to handle something like video compression um, that's fine it's not a uh, criticism no, 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 I, it's more uh, just like for us to understand like at what level this sort of technology is at well I mean the entry bar for any snark based application is high anyway uh, people usually give an example that you can prove the inference step of the neural network using some ZK snark. Even while it's technically possible, I even agree that it's possible. It's another challenge how we can make the neural network 
which is efficiently provable in SNARK. So, I mean, if you try to prove the normal neural network, you will end nowhere. So you need to change the neural network with the primitives which used as numbers in the neural network itself to be able to efficiently prove it. And this is a limitation of SNARKs because they work over fields, not over normal numbers, which were used to work with when we write just normal programs. This is obvious technological limitation. Um, But if your application allows you to work around this or use field elements instead of numbers, for example, and you know how to use them because there are parts which are quite not so obvious, then sure, you can try to prove your local computations used in ZK-SNARK. So I want to ask a question about the roll-up project and how this relates to what you guys are doing. Because did you, have you been working, like, is this a roll-up project? What is roll-up? Roll-up is the name of the concept. We were struggling to find a a better name. We just settled on ZK Rollup, which is currently being used as as common name for this kind of solutions. So it's a general umbrella term for zero-knowledge-based state transitions with data availability solved on-chain. I would say this is definition. So uh, I started working on Rollup yet before I met Alex. Uh, I was working with Barry Whitehead and the ideas we developed there uh, flew into what we implemented with Matter. So Matter was just the, w- we as a research team were the first to actually implement a working version of Rollup. And who was it initially a Barry, like was Barry the first person to kick this off? His name is often associated with it. Yes, Barry so Whitehead. Ba- Barry uh, was uh, Barry's role was to be the pioneer of zero knowledge in, in general. He created Miximus and he created a, a group. Uh, I found him online, and there were a couple of people um, having discussions about that, my, making specifications, making some prototypes, and uh, we progressed from there. We discussed different directions. We we had different libraries and frameworks which we could use. Barry was working with, with LeapSnark. We decided to experiment with Bellman, which is a library written in Rust by guys from Zcash, by Sean Bow specifically for the most part. And we thought it might be a better fit because Rust is a really interesting language for writing secure applications and for writing cryptographic protocols because it, it has a very nice set of constraints. Certain things you can, you can define things which are not possible or are not allowed to do. And then the language itself will take care of these limitations. And it's also more modern, more concise. The programs are shorter. You don't need to write the same code twice because you, you can reuse generic functionality of, of Rust. And it turned out to be a good choice. It allowed that to, to, to make the progress much faster. So Rollup was this initial idea, and there was a group of people online who kind of rallied around it. And out of that came the project that you guys do. What is the name of the exact project? Because I know you as Matter Labs, but what's the project? What's the technology? Uh, so we're working on a network now, which we're going to call Franklin. It's going to be the platform for generic execution of zero knowledge on top of layer one. So we're, we, we call it layer two network, but it's maybe it's just an extension of layer one. We're not sure how to position it. So like all projects which are now layer two can just build on top of this. We're not going into any specific functional vertical which is going to provide um, tools for other projects to build on top. Who can use transfers, they can use atomic swaps, they can use uh, state channels. With all the existing tooling, which is currently 
there, just with better user experience and better security. And is it always going to have that zero knowledge component, or is it more focused on just general scalability? Uh, no, it's it's a sca it's scalability based on zero knowledge because zero knowledge is the only technology which allows us to scale with its benefits. There is nothing else. It was a breakthrough technologically. I want to dig more into how this is built and sort of the, what the architecture looks like, what pieces are off-chain and how they communicate and some stuff like that. But there was one thing that I wanted to cover first and something that I talked to Barry about. And I know there are some issues in just how Ethereum works. And with roll-up or, or roll-up architectures in general, you get the maximum scalability if you fill up every block with one single transaction. That's very, very hard to do. And it's also like questionable if that's, you know, if you have a generic off-chain structure that can execute anything, then, you know, you just force people to go to that place to execute it instead of executing it on-chain. Uh, but if you have something like a DEX that focuses entirely on this, then, you know, every block just serves this one DEX and no other application can make it on-chain. So obviously this is problematic. How do you think about this? First of all, it's about economic efficiency, but of course you can just wait longer to fill the blocks. Then it will increase the delay, which is going to introduce inconvenience for users. So obviously, yes, this is the correct, correctly identified problem. We want to fit as many zero-knowledge transactions into one block as possible. And this was our motivation for starting Franklin. We realized that if every project will go with their own solution, then they are going to all compete for gas on Ethereum and they will have to wait very long time to, to fill the blocks. And for some projects which are not yet as that massively used, it's going to be inefficient and amortization of the uh, gas cost per transaction is going to be low. So that's why we decided let's figure out what are the basic universal blocks which all projects can build on top and let's make a very broad... Uh, broadly accessible network so that all these projects, DEXs, DeFi projects, which you need to use, to use scaling, CryptoKitties, uh, simply payment solutions, which need to transfer tokens, can all reuse. And the, the of course, there, there might be conflict potential between all, all these projects, because who, who's going to control this? Uh, so we came up with an idea to make a decentralized network. Now, it's important to explain that the decentralization is not strictly needed in our case because zero-knowledge proofs make sure that the state is always correct. You can never, never commit an incorrect state. Uh, but we need it for censorship resistance because if we only have one operator, this operator will be able to censor anybody they want. So for censorship resistance, we want to decentralize this and we will have a permissionless set of validators. Anybody can become a validator, and they will just produce the blocks in turn. And uh, yeah, so the, the, this is what I want to dig into as well. I think a comment on the um, uh, filling up every block, like I said, if you make this a generic structure that can execute any type of transaction and it's a proper decentralized network and has censorship resistance, etc., I think it's fine to fill up every block with one transaction. But at that point, if, if it's truly successful and this is how people want to build their applications, then it's questionable if we should keep Ethereum 
as it is, or we just ditch the EVM completely and say, this is a blockchain for making data available and, and validating zero knowledge proofs. And that's all the perp, like, that's the only purpose of layer one. And we don't have to have the smart contract thing going on. Well, you want a smart contract just to be able to to support generic proofs. Maybe in the future we'll come up with better protocols which need to be verified. And you also want to use Ethereum for other purposes as the court of final appeal. Because you will still have cases where you need to escalate on the main chain for the sake of flexibility. So you want to keep the flexible generic computing functionality at for on, on layer one just in case just for situations where you need to resolve something there. But mostly, yes, this is going to uh, progress towards the vision which you just described. Do you think that that would mean, like, okay, according to this vision, would, like, the one Ethereum, what are we saying? Ethereum 1X? Ethereum that we have today. Um, that could become something like this court of final appeal. But then I'm curious, how do you interact with ETH 2.0? Have you, like... What are you, are you guys, does it matter? Do you need to care? Are you looking at this? Will it change the way that you build things? No, we can, we can build this solution with, on top of any layer. One. Yeah, with Ethereum 2.0, it's a, even, well, it's, we don't need cross-shared interaction. It's the first, if the user deposits part of his funds or uses what we built for his purposes, user actually never touches the sharding structure as it is after he's already in the network. So for sharding, the only entity which will care will be us as the developers. But if we operate on some shard, yes, we take quite a lot of capacity of the shard, but for purposes of proof verification and data availability. Uh, But then we don't need direct cross-shard interaction unless there is a deposit access procedure, but well, this will require cross-shard interaction anyway. But other than this, we can operate in one shard, and for in this sense, sharding is very much beneficial. We take much smaller share of the total network capacity just to verify the proofs. This was something that Frederick and I were talking about just a little bit before this interview, and that was you kind of t- you touched on it just earlier. The idea that when you go off chain, you actually are no longer in this decentralized mode. You're actually the, all of this could be happening in an extremely centralized way, and then sort of checks into the decentralized court of appeal or the you know data star uber validator somehow i know that's the wrong word here because it'll get confusing <laughs> for people but anyway um but then you sort of mentioned that the way that you want to decentralize it is to create sort of a decentralized network in itself how do you do that before i explain how we do that i want to add one more motivation for doing this in the first place and this is trusted setup because for snarks in the current with the current iteration which we use is uh, the protocol is called Growth 16, and it requires an application-specific trusted setup. This was the biggest problem why SNARKs have not been broadly used in the past. The only application which which takes heavy use of, of SNARKs is Zcash, and Zcash had two rounds of trusted setup. The second round was more efficient with over 100 participants, but most of those people were either closely affiliated with Zcash or they were just random participants who are not very well publicly known. We didn't see any large, credible organizations taking part in the trusted setup, which, of course, is giving reason to to some people to doubt the the credibility of the setup in in general. So, of course, if you're building something very... This this problem faces 
uh, every project faces this problem. Because if they create trusted setup just for them, just for their application, how are they going to attract large number of credible participants to, uh, to make it um, publicly um, compelling? So now Starkware comes and says, hey, let's, let's use Starks because we have a transparent um, uh, arguments of knowledge and then you don't need a trusted setup, which sounds like a very good idea. Unfortunately for blockchains, for this out of efficiency reasons, because the proofs are two orders of magnitude larger than for Snarks with hundreds of kilobytes of code, we just cannot use it now. The block size or the gas block limit is the main bottleneck on the public blockchains. So the proofs must be short. Otherwise, you, you can, like, if you provide, if your proof is uh, costing you 6 million gas, then you don't have any space to put data availability on chain, and then it becomes uh, a very tricky solution. And you, you just, you, you cannot build roll up on, Star, on Starks right now for this. So that's interesting, but how does that, so let's talk about the decentralized. Now, if we have a single network, which can be reused by many projects, which only supports generic functionality, not going into depth of every application, but allows any application to build stuff that they need, we can have a broad set of projects who are interested in this, in using this network, who will participate in the trusted setup, which will make the trusted setup much more convincing for the public. And this is what we're striving to do with Franklin. So we're actually... Uh, in the process of creating what we call a zero-knowledge blockchain alliance, the organization which will include these projects. And the first con con condition for participation will be taking part in the trusted setup. And it also will balance incentives, and it also will provide a broader set of validators, which is decentralized, which will, ex which will eliminate um, the risk that one party controls most of the network and they can censor everybody else. That's interesting that you consider because the trusted setup is very sort of broad, like it can be very broad in its scope and you can have a lot of different individuals from different walks of life, that that would somehow give them any power over the network post-trusted setup. Because isn't it just that you have all of these people weigh in to create the secret key, private key, and, and then it's used once and then it's sort of set free? Like then, it, then, however the thing is managed after that is not related necessarily to the trusted setup group. Like, I don't yeah, understand. I don't exactly understand how that decentralizes it. Uh, well, let's kind of half step back. Let's say there are 10 projects building their own kind of ZK-based solution for actually for a particular application, not for some functionality which can suit a lot of projects, but just for one particular one, let's say, DAX or something like this. Uh, and 10 such projects, each of those will compete for gas price verification, public data availability, some solutions which I've seen have some enormous requirements for data availability, at, unless they sold, I mean, unless they actually do it, which is, will be very expensive, they can be actually called a centralized network because they can just not disclose the data. Uh, if they all do it, it's another cryptic it is. And to do it, they all need to do the trusted setup individually. Each of them will Each have of to them do separately and individually setup. just because Gross 16 works this way. So if you somehow manage their interest, merge them together, or just make something generic, which they all can use maybe with some limitations, but still usable, it's one 
verification cost, public data availability, which with much smaller data, which is necessary, uh, and one trusted setup, which can include participation from all those 10 entities. So this is high quality trusted setup because those entities are potentially competitors. So they have no incentive to try to come together and try to keep all this large share of entropy. Uh, well, we will participate ourselves and, I mean, just yeah. destroy our entropy anyway, but, but it, guess, it doesn't but I, matter. To me, to me the trusted setup and all of that is solving a different problem. Like, that is to make sure that the, that the whole system is secure, but that doesn't necessarily decentralize it. It's a part of decentralization, having more participants in the trusted setup, but let's also d- deep dive into the technological architecture, how we can make it decentralized. So to, to decentralize things, we just need to produce, to, to, to give the right to produce blocks to different participants. In turn, I produce the first block, then I pass it to you, you produce the second block, then Alex produces this the third block, and so on, and it goes in, in circle. Now with, with Plasma, it's very difficult to do because the participants need to share data availability. And if one of them refuses to share data availability, we have something called a speaker-listener dilemma. It's non-attributable. If I, if I say publicly that I told you something, and you say publicly that you never received this message, there is no way for anybody to understand whether you, who, who is right. Uh, that's why Plasma must be centralized. Uh, with, with Rollup specifically, because we put all the data provably on the main chain and make it available to everybody else, all operators can just take the data from there and continue producing blocks. And we can have something very simple, some simple Randau, some, some smart contract which determines randomly sequence of who is producing the next block. And this is all we need in order to decentralize. Now, if some of the validators will censor you, somebody else won't because they will, will have incentive. Obviously, you will have to pay for your transactions, some small fee because they've proved generation costs uh, some has some have some costs so somebody will be happy to inclu- include your transaction and this way we will guarantee the absence of censorship resistance do you intend to set up like a separate blockchain for this or like a beacon chain to to be able to do validator selection or do you plan to have that as a smart contract on on mainnet we will have a smart contract which determines randomly the sequence of validators and we will of course have a side chain the state itself is going to be stored off of the main chain so we will produce yeah. nodes which people have to run which store the state in some database and they exchange the state through the for sending it on ethereum now as far as randomness is concerned we are not sensitive to any bias in randomness we don't need verifiable AI functions because all, all we need to do is some some we we can we don't even need randomness. We can just produce it in yeah, sequence. You can do yeah. a round robin around the validator yeah. sets, uh, assuming it's not too large. So I, I think that brings the question of like how uh, do you add and remove validators from this set, and what's the? I mean, the incentives of of being a validator is you get fees, but how do you get civil resistance? Why can't I just sign up with a thousand validators and be the only one ever validating? Well, for this, the uh, on blockchains we introduce tokens. This is the, the simplest and more most obvious version how we can um, make it permissionless, how we can allow anybody to just join the network without any bias, without control of anybody else. 
Right, so there there will be a Franklin token. Yeah, there will be something like Franklin network token. Yeah, I mean, just because uh, Geometian's approved requires some capital. Uh, it can be not even direct uh, validator participation, but you can just delegate your right to potentially make like this share of blocks in this round to someone who is willing to take this capital cost upfront for a purpose of potentially collecting the amount of fees which is profitable for them. We don't want to limit any form of such cooperation. So we'll need to make some form of delegation procedure, but then still the round is fine at time. If you delegate it your right to someone and see that this is not, not the best validator, you delegate your right to someone else. Well, because we cannot produce invalid blocks. Worst thing can happen, you can commit to some block and never produce the proofs and you just slashed. Uh, we don't have all these severe problems like uh, EOS protocol with delegated proof of stake, and potentially like proof of stake protocols in principle. Uh, yeah, the worst thing can happen if if validator screws up and the next one steps in earlier than should be. And that's the only transition mechanism and error resolution. Which will, will pose a small denial of service um, risk on, on the system. If I don't produce blocks, then it will be some delay. But then the this validator who did not commit the block will be slashed for the amount of time it they, they cause damage on the system, and this will discourage such behavior. One thing that I find sort of fascinating about this project and even exploring it with you guys, we started from like this like off-chain solution and then into this platform sort of platform of tools and it's going to like and as you go through it you guys are basically coming into you're you're facing the challenges that every large-scale blockchain project not every but all, like many large-scale blockchain projects face the question of like how validators are dealt with the question of should you be delegated the it, it's very it's been a very interesting journey even through this interview to sort of understand where you guys are going and where you've been and yeah uh, anyways it's, it's definitely it's an ambitious project um thank you but for, luckily for us we rely on the security properties of zero knowledge proofs and they solve a lot of problems for us yeah and just from purely technological perspective it decentralization is not strictly necessary there is a, there from the day one there was a worst case resolution scenario even if there is just one super validator uh Decentralization as it is, is kind of our decisions that we want to make it this way. So just not even that this worst case scenario will never happen and, well, should not happen uh, in a decentralized setting. But if we can do it, we don't need a superpower. Uh, I mean, the building all the previous parts and continuing improvements in the work is already a lot of work. And like being a validator is not the funniest part of it. The funniest. Yeah. <laughs> the funnest. Yeah, the funnest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean you do need the the, the decentralized aspect to, to have censorship resistance, I suppose. But um I I want uh I wanna ask one final question around how you guys are building things because like Anna said, it's an ambitious project. There are, there will have to be validator nodes that are producing proofs and collecting transactions, and you'll need a transaction queue, and you'll need out in P2P networking and everything else. You said you're building stuff in Rust. Like, how are you building out these different components, and which P2P net, like li- library are you using? 
So a nice thing about being a validator is that you're not exposed to a risk of to operational security risks because you never expose your private key uh, on a hot wallet machine. You you just produce the proofs, and if the, if the proofs are incorrect, then they get declined. So therefore, the security requirements for us are are less. We need to um, make a lot of effort to provide the to make the the the, the snarks the protocols inside zero knowledge um, proofs very secure. Uh, but the rest can be can like all these uh, communicational things can be written in languages like Golang maybe. Uh, which which take much faster in development. So we use Rust for really difficult parts, and uh, the rest uh, we, we will see. Rust is an interesting language. It might be a little. It, it's it's a matter of trade off of speed of development, and cost of development, and um, the security which we need to achieve there. So how much is is finished? Like how much is actually built right now, and how much is there still on the horizon? Uh, so we we have a working the snark circuit for the first version is very close to uh, I would say fifty percent. Yeah, I mean we finalize the features which we want to put because actually just limiting the features is a difficult task. In terms of implementing the snarks, well, still not many people really like to do it, but we it's not a problem for us. Uh, everything else is more or less is much closer to more or less standard software development. Yes, it requires people in principle, and that's why we don't hide. We try to find get some funding, uh, even after we got the Ethereum grant. That I mean, it would allow us to get more people because this part is purely purely software engineering. It's not too related to Snarks directly. Uh, I mean, we can cover already the Snarky part. Uh, so, in this sense, our goal is to provide the validators a set of tools with basically four lines of code, or not even code, just four lines for. Um, Tuning the network, like to what what address you want to get collected fees or something like this, uh, so you can just start and run. Uh, even the communication, like P2P communication, is well. There are wonderful libraries for it in the first place, uh, or we can agree that the round is finite, so everyone knows who will be the participant in this round, and they can all agree upfront about like what will be the common storage where they put all the data, just even for public to download it. It's not a big difference if it's down if it's uh, storage for public or storage between operators. Uh, so this part is like purely software engineering and without touching zk part. So zk part is really difficult, but we also have to um, to explain that we we have a few other lines of research. We were also working on the GPU prover, which uh, Alex can present the benchmarks. Uh, we were also working on the Sonic implementation which we haven't touched yet because this is a new promising direction of this, which is especially important for smart contracts and SNARKs. And uh, this, we, we, we will have to decide, uh, it will depend on funding whether we can pursue all the directions or just focus on the Franklin network. I happen to know of a very good framework that gives you uh, networking databases and uh, validator nodes and everything else out of the box. Uh, we can talk more about that later. Uh, well, is, is, that, is this something, a plug? This is certainly something we're, we're going to consider. On what you just mentioned, I actually have a last question, which is about uh, the use of snarks. The snarks that we have spoken about on this podcast and like... Do you, are you constructing this in a way that you could eventually replace Snarks with something else? Or is this 
100% built around the concept of snarks. Oh, uh, well, snarks, uh, the S is important. We need, ev- we need for verification purposes, every something which scales exponentially with a number of competitions just to, sh- just to for compress this part, which ensures the validity. So that's why we don't need signatures on chain. We just need the small deltas. Uh, so this part is any solution which will allow us to do this. We will be willing to spend the time in the research and, and evaluate how it works. Uh, the synth part is, is the most important one. Uh, I mean, Sonic's are snarks because they, they are succinct. I mean, it's just Sonic as a proof system is called this way. A gross 16, 16 is also a proof system, but all of those are basically snarks. Uh, so if there is an X proof system, even more and more efficient with universal trusted setups and potentially other benefits. Then we will pursue this direction and we'll check and evaluate how it's uh, how expensive it's to make proofs there, how expensive it's to verify the proofs there. And if it suits the needs, well, we definitely will upgrade if there are benefits. But snarks, sonics are snarks in their essence. Just the same way, it's another proof system, but the area is the same. Do Sonics still need trusted setups? They need a trusted setup, but not for every application, but only once for any application up to the given size. And up to the given size is basically the amount of computation which you want to run inside of the circuit. Well, this is so powerful feature. At, for example, if we would want to upgrade the functionality, uh, we would have to do another trusted setup, at least part of it. With Sonics, we just say, this is a new functionality, that's it. And we can have a much broader set of participants in the trusted setup because everybody will be interested because they can reuse it. Yeah, it's not only universal, but it's continuously updatable. Maybe we're due to do an entire episode just on Sonics, but <laughs> sounds You should interesting. then invite Sean Bo. Yeah, if you, if you invite Sean Bo, I will well, come, I mean, come in person to see Bo him. on here, uh, <laughs> that would be... <laughs> Pretty amazing, regardless of what we talk about. Cool. Do you guys have anything else you want to share with the audience before we sign off? Where can people find you? They can go to matter-labs.io. Well, just because we code, (laughs) go to the (laughs) GitHub. Uh, I mean... But they will find links to Twitter, uh, Medium, GitHub, Gitter, everything from from the main site. I want to say thank you guys for sharing a, like a little insight into what you're working on. And also, I think we've uncovered a few different topics through this conversation. We've talked about plasma, we've talked about on-chain, off-chain computation, that trusted setup again, and like the new advancements. This is pretty cool. So yeah, thanks for coming. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you very much. And uh, to our listeners, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.